Welcome back. It's a three-man booth. It's back to the good old ways after a couple of weeks worth of two-manning it. But we are joined by a man whose Apple Music subscription has not recently purchased ownership of a Spanish uh, soccer stadium. It is Nick Govinden. See, this is my hot take. And I think, especially after the drubbing that they received at the weekend... Florentino Perez is definitely going to like <laughs> demand that every single Real Madrid player, uh, staff member, you know, even like janitor, kitchen staff, whatever it may be, delete Spotify off their phone with impunity. I think Perez, instead of looking at all this Super League crap, should uh, partner with Apple and rename the Santiago Bernabeu, the renovated Santiago Bernabeu, the Apple Music. <laughs> Santiago Bernabeu, but that's just my personal opinion on how they can take this rivalry further. But yes, I am Nick Vinden. Thank you and, for joining our show. And we're also joined by Caleb Rhodes, who, you know, had this been taking place in around 1999, could very well have been supporting the Napster uh, Camp New, but instead uh, he'll be stuck with the much more name brand uh, Spotify Camp New from here on out. Yes, which, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I will say, I feel like there's a lot of musicians in and around the Barcelona squad. I feel like Danny Alves has some tunes. Memphis Depay, as we know, has a few uh, like Dutch rap bangers. bangers. Absolute bangers. Uh, one of, oh, at least one of them no, is. No, no, don't, no. don't. Yeah, dude, those, he's got some tunes, bro. Yeah, Have you heard but, uh, Dubai Freestyle? <laughs> yeah, it's too bad he doesn't have any like goals. No but, love. Yeah. No love was funny goals. because no love was funny because he basically wrote a diss track about himself and then yeah. published it to the world. Yeah, uh, but that's you know neither here nor there. I will also right. say there's um but probably the the most famous or or you know venerable sort of Barcelona related musician is uh Jose Manuel Pinto, the former reserve goalkeeper. <laughs> oh, dude, yes. Um, I forget what his his name is, his like music name. But he was like a, a well, he, was he like and Hesse, he? he and Hesse also. I mean, famously, uh, Hesse put out a bunch of reggaeton stuff for the. Uh, you know, he could actually get brought back to Real Madrid um, as they launch their new platform. Oh yeah, well. he goes by Wahin, Pinto <laughs> Wahin, W A H I N. I don't know what that means, but that's that's his like music persona is Wahin. Well, well, Barcelona may as well have gone platinum yesterday. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, well thank you. Uh, as they basically beat the living crap out of Real Madrid for 90 minutes. And this game was just awesome to watch. Uh, and I think it reveals, I think sometimes we as sort of like pundits or followers of soccer have a tendency to overanalyze certain games about what they mean for each team. But I think this is actually a game that reveals a lot about both Barcelona and Real Madrid as they look towards the future. Uh, we may as well start by talking about what it means for Barcelona, who absolutely played Madrid off the park. It was up there with, you know, the 6-2 back in 2009-2010 um, for me in terms of just how absolutely dominant they were. Uh, 
and it really validated, I think, my belief that Dembélé is, is key to this team going forward. Well, do we want to let Caleb go first and uh, just sort of like gush, or do you want me to go first and then we can like you know all move aside? No, you know Caleb... what? I think I think Caleb deserves to gush because he's taken his fair share of like Europa League. Ribbon. Yeah, I know he's he's you know this is three years without a classical win. He's taken his fair share of lumps on this podcast in the past two years. Why not, Caleb? This is your big moment. Oh my God, the things that I was feeling. Just everything about this game was so perfect from Madrid having their stupid Y3 kits that were black instead of white that they were selling for like $200 to fans. No, 200 euros. Well, it was like 167 euros. It's like 200 bucks. Um, I feel like you kind of felt this performance sort of slowly coming over the course of you know the past few months like we were building up to this moment and i think this was the fixture on the calendar where it was like what will chavi's barcelona be able to do by the march classico you know we've already lost three two to them before um a few months ago but oh my god this was the first time that I actually felt confident going into an El Clasico in years. And I was repaid with every single minute of this game. And really it was from like the first minute of the game, we were dominant. And I think everyone had an amazing performance. I think Xavi set up this team spectacularly. You know, playing Araujo as a right back was a bit of an error, or sorry, was a bit of a risk. But it was a way for him to make amends for the error he made in the previous matchup against Madrid where Danny Alves in like his second game back was just beaten for pace time and time and time again by Vinicius and Araujo, who's just imperious in the air, got a deserved goal. Ferran Torres was great on the day, you know, missing 17 chances as normal, but also sinking one. And really his movement just continues to impress me. I mean, Madrid and we'll probably get to them and their defense looking, you know, positively Vanarama conference level. Um, if that, or, or Maguire-esque, I, I should say. Um, his movement is so great that they thought he was offsides when he was well on. Abemian continues to be an inspired purchase. And then Dembele playing really kind of this true winger role, conventional winger role, sticking to the byline. Um, and I think that's been a major sort of tactical innovation. And unleashing him as a creator rather than a goal scorer um, has been so good. I thought Frankie had a fantastic game. Busquets had a great game. Pedri had a wonderful game. Rick Garcia, you know, obviously wasn't pressured all that much, you know, without Benzema. And once again, we'll talk about Madrid's issues in this game in a minute. But he had 98% pass accuracy. Ter Stegen looked himself, making save after save. And I just felt so, so good after this game. And I'm glad that I actually was able to watch it because, and just pardon this short anecdote. So I went to Phoenix Landing. And Nathan, do you remember the issues we had with watching a classic oh, Phoenix yeah, Landing I mean, in the had, fall? We had all of the issues there. Yeah. The and we got there super early too. No, right. So I went uh, to Phoenix Landing at like 3.40, like, you know, a solid 20 minutes. I was watching the Liverpool game closely. Which is the soccer bar in Boston. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is for context. It's like the soccer bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the Liverpool bar specifically. And so I was, Liverpool obviously had an FA Cup game before. And so I was watching that nervously, hoping that it wouldn't go to extra time because then that would, you know, 
make it slower for them to switch the TVs over to El Clasico, but luckily they got the job done. Um, but I walk up to the door and they're like, oh, sorry. They're like just putting a sign alert. It says basically someone had rented it out for El Clasico from four to six. Um, and so it wasn't open. And I was like, my guy. And so I was like, where should I go? There's another sports bar kind of further up the street um, in Cambridge. And I went and they're like, oh, sorry. Like we no longer have, you know, like ESPN plus. So like we can't play the game. And at this point, there was like this gathering mass of like Spaniard expats and American football fans that were like roving mass ab looking for a place to watch <laughs> El Clasico. And I literally went up to the guy. I was like, how can you call yourself a sports bar and not have ESPN plus? I will give you my password and login. Better yet, I will pay for a month, like put it on my tab. I, I was so baffling. Um, and just and, and just for reference, I'm not going to dox you, Caleb. Here, but yeah. You are, you know, you were in, you were within like 400 steps of your house, uh, which would have been a very easy place for you to watch this game. No, no, no. That's uh, right. But you want the atmosphere, no, but you I want wanted, the vibe, right? Yeah. So it was me and my like fellow Catalans of of Cambridge, I guess. Um, who is were he just Adeline, like, is he Cypriot? You never know these days. Anything that um, starts with the C, um, Caleb included, but. I was just super frustrated because I've now been like kind of thwarted by Phoenix Landing and I love Phoenix Landing, but they've kind of screwed me over twice now, but I did watch it at home and it was wonderful and excellent. And, you know, that was kind of my emotional bit. Maybe you guys can enter into the more tactical discussion and I can, I can chime in. And then we also do need to give, I think, Madrid their, their rundown as well. Whatever, yeah, whatever the opposite of giving them their flowers is. Yeah. yeah giving them their, you know, flowers that have been, laying out on you know the, the the display room floor for a little bit too long because that's certainly what it looked like everyone that madrid squad looked you know its age uh over the weekend but yeah this was this i mean for barcelona from a barcelona perspective this was i think probably the apex of the past you know 140 ish days of xavi's reign short reign at the club and i think we've all kind of seen the fact that he really has reinvented this Barcelona 4-3-3 into a system where they're able to have, you know, a bit more, a bit more risk taking, honestly, you know, a bit more runs from deep, a bit more expansion of width, a bit more, you know, play with long balls, certainly a bit more isolating of, um, of like the winger against fullback pairing going forward. I think you certainly saw that in this game with Dembele really going at Nacho specifically for the first goal. And you know, Madrid come into this game without Karim Benzema, who, you know, was the orchestrator of their glorious comeback against PSG at the Bernabeu. But this was, in my opinion, I think the real signal. And I think, Nathan, you're absolutely right. Like, sometimes we do read into games a little bit too much. And, you know, on the outset, this result actually, you know, on paper in terms of actual points, doesn't mean all that much for Real Madrid, who are probably still going to, you know, it's late enough in the season and they have enough winnable games coming up that they probably are still going to you know retain their La Liga trophy and Carlo Ancelotti is going to win uh, the title that had evaded him his, his first reign as Madrid coach but this was you know a real indicator of the fact that Xavi is and I think we've discussed his you know his man management and how effective that has been specifically with Dembele and Dembele played his, in my opinion, the best game I've ever seen him play, you know, regardless of club, regardless of shirt. Uh, he looks fit. He looks ready to go. He looks like he's going to have an extended run in this team, which I think is key. They really need to, 
you know, set aside their differences and find a way to re-sign him. And Dembele needs to set aside, you know, whatever personal grudges he might have against the medical staff and find a way to work things out. But yeah, I think everything like Pedri, De Jong, Busquets, that midfield dominated. They were able to switch it to the flanks. Barcelona had so much room. They were causing Madrid, who started with this weird like 4-3-3 with Luka Modric in a false nine. They caused them to switch tactics. They played a 4-3-1 Madrid. They played a 4-4-2 with Vinicius and Rodrigo at the two striker positions. Nothing worked, and that was all because of Barcelona's flawless setup and I think imperious confidence at the moment, which is all stemming from their coach in Xavi. Yeah, I think uh, when you look at, I guess, the managerial appointments over the last couple of years, right now, two of the, in my opinion, the two best sort of young appointees have been Arteta and Xavi, um, just based on the way that these teams are playing right now, and particularly this game with Barcelona, it was just a, a tactical masterclass. And there's a great article, uh, I believe it's 538, it might have been the Times or the Guardian talking about this sort of new 4-3-3 of Barcelona and how it differs from uh, more traditional tiki-taka. Uh, but I would definitely recommend giving that a read. Uh, I forget which publication it was exactly, but I think Though where I truly read into this game is that uh, this sort of proves to me just how much Madrid have relied on Benzema. And that's not a bad thing because like Bayern rely on Lewandowski. Like when you have a, a goal scorer who gets you 30 to 40 goals in a season, um, no matter their age, like goals are equal to points, right? Like goals win games. Um, but there's so many transfer rumors about Real Madrid, you know, being linked to all of these strikers, both Holland and Mbappe. And I think at this point, Mbappe is a foregone conclusion. But uh, you really, you look at this Real Madrid bench and you think, wow, like as much as we've maligned Barcelona's spending uh, in the last, uh, you know, couple of years, Madrid have done a really terrible job of recruitment as well. And you think about their... They haven't been able to spend. Well, but you think about their huge money deals for guys like Luka Jovic, Right, Eden Hazard, or both of whom didn't yeah, play. Yeah, Eden Hazard. Um, you know the failure to maybe get a return on Isco, who's now 29, but probably could have gotten you know 50 million for him if they had let him go within the last three or so years. And you look at the fact that like Lucas Vazquez is their first choice outside back off the bench that they had to play Nacho at left back. Um, you know the same way that he had to deputize against PSG. It really gets really makes me think like oh like Benzema carried them to victory against PSG. It was not necessarily Real Madrid, and of course I think Vinicius and Rodrigo also both play better with an actual striker ahead of them. Yeah, I mean like yeah, the major main takeaway from Barcelona here is Barcelona are back and you know very much on the ascendancy. Um, for Madrid, I think there were several tactical errors. Like I don't know why you don't start Alaba at left back over Nacho. That didn't make a ton of sense to me. I think, as you said, you know, it says a lot that, you know, Jovic didn't even make it onto the field, that Hazard didn't start, you know, even over Rodrigo. This is now, Hazard still has not made his Classico debut. He's been fit for the past three. He has not played. The first four, he was injured. He has not made his Classico debut. Um... I don't know. I think there are some just tactical errors. Also, like Militao had just an especially awful game um, in almost every phase. Danny Carvajal, I think, has regressed quite a bit following his sort of series of injury problems and Madrid need a right back. 
like last year. Um, and also, I think on the midfield, you know, this is a game where like Cross um, really showed his age, I think, and, and sort of got the hook um, pretty early on. And I think for Madrid, you know, as Nick said, they're already pretty far ahead in La Liga and they should be able to sew that up, especially as Sevilla haven't really put the pressure on um, at all, similar to last year when they sort of failed to really put any pressure on Atleti towards the end. Um, I think it's really important for Ancelotti to experiment with, you know, the younger players he has at his disposal, especially in that midfield. Like I want to see, you know, starting midfields of Valverde, Casemiro and Kamavinga more often because it's pretty clear that, you know, the lack of mobility of Kroos, you know, like Modric is also quite old at this point, even though he still has a good game every once while, they need to start transitioning this team. And I think that's most clear in their struggles without Benzema, right? And it's, you know, making it even more obvious that they all, they need, and I think they probably will, get Mbappe this summer. Um, because Vinicius, you know, Araujo had him in his pocket all game. He was resorting to like, hilarious dives like can we talk about that for a second like in the slow-mo Ter Stegen has his leg out and Vinicius just goes like full flop like feet before he's even like next to Ter Stegen when he was one-on-one when the game was still only 1-0 and I think the fact that he had to resort to such theatrics so early on which you know PK very much called out when he kind of like put his put his arm over Vinicius's shoulder afterwards says a lot about how Madrid mentally weren't there. And I think their squad wasn't there. And I think Ancelotti is partly responsible for that. But, you know, this Madrid team has problems. And if you're in the Champions League, I think Chelsea, for all their problems, are probably like, hmm, this, this might be more doable uh, than I thought before. This was the first time I really saw the experienced version of Real Madrid. You know, the Tony Kroos, Casemiro... Luka Modric version of Real Madrid really get rattled when going a goal behind. And I thought like when it was a nil-nil, I thought Barcelona had the better of the chances, were exploiting a bit more of the weaknesses, hadn't found the goal yet. And yet there's Valverde has that shot. Ter Stegen makes a few saves, uh, some really good saves, honestly. I didn't think that Valverde chance was probably the best one. But they go a goal down and you just see like the heads drop. You see, you know, the indecision. You see the you know, real lack of a defined tactical setup without Benzema start to creep into their game. Luka Modric played like 10 complete passes in the first 30 minutes of the game, which is an astonishing number for a player of his quality. And I think if you're Ancelotti, yes, like he needs investment in this team, but losses, big losses like this at home in the Bernabeu usually do not bode well for Real Madrid managers in terms of their futures. And I wouldn't be shocked if you know, Madrid go into the summer and they sign Mbappe and they dip into you know, the transfer budget a little more uh, liberally than we've seen them do in the past two to three years. And they also sack Ancelotti and try and recruit a younger coach. I think Ancelotti has not been you know, the Ancelotti of the late 2000s, early 2010s in many years. I think you kind of saw that with his, you know, labored attempts at Everton and, and, you know, not so successful attempts with Napoli and Bayern Munich. And I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Ancelotti is sort of in this caretaker role. You know, he suffered this huge defeat at the Bernabeu. You know, he's winning La Liga, but like Caleb said, like, I think Chelsea are by far and away, you know, a better team, you know, certainly in terms of this rematch from last season, I don't think anything has changed in particular. Kareem Benzema, is fit. it sounds like 
he will play. It sounds like he could have played in this game and he just wasn't risked for it. But I am not. And this, like, I think like you both are saying, like this Madrid team has not been properly future-proofed for the next, you know, even two to three years of its existence. And they've spent so much money on renovating the Bernabeu that, you know, they're welcoming Mbappe to the club, which is going to be huge, both for La Liga and both and for Real Madrid. But, you know, who's going to be, you know, providing service into Mbappe for the next five to 10 years? Is it going to be Kamavinga? Is it going to be, you know, some of these younger players coming through? Like, uh, I don't even know. Like, can they get, you know, a Brahim Diaz back from AC Milan or whatever? Like, I, I just, I'm baffled at, you know, the fact that they've coasted on the Kreuz-Modric for so long. And I understand it's been a really successful period and they've won trophies, you know, during COVID and things like that. And, but I think right now it's, you know, they're getting Mbappe in, but Mbappe is just, you know, for as glorious a player as he is, he's going to become, he is just one man and the spine of the team is looking a bit bare bones as of right now. I mean, Absolutely. you can tell that the team is rattled when, you know, after making two subs at halftime, and presumably Ancelotti gave them a pretty stern talking to about what they needed to do and how they needed to tighten up at the back. They conceded, you know, a one-on-one chance from a long ball to Ferran Torres within a minute of the restart, which he then missed, but then still conceded, you know, goals three and four within 10 minutes of the second half starting. And on the fourth goal, um, you know, basically stopped playing because they thought it was offsides. Um, And, you know... (laughs) You know what they always say, like, you got to play to the whistle, and there was no whistle. And I think they were looking for any way to make this game end. Um, And the thing is, like, Chelsea, for everything that's going on with Chelsea, Chelsea don't get rattled. Like, Chelsea went to a really tough, you know, they're playing a championship team in the FA Cup, sure. But they went to a really tough ground against a really, really good championship side who could have, you know... They could have slipped on the banana peel, but and they, they had no fans. <laughs> they had no fans travel to the game. You know, Lukaku puts the ball in the net and Ziek scores, you know, a worldie essentially. And they and it's and it's business as usual. They keep a clean sheet. You know, they're still picking up points in the Premier League. They're advancing in the Champions League. You know, Chelsea are a team that, you know, has a very progressive coach in his prime right now in Thomas Tuchel and players to future proof the squad and they're not going to get rattled regardless of what happens, you know, on the ownership side of things. And I just don't think that's something we're seeing with Real Madrid right now. Yeah, I think that is uh, certainly fair to say, well, why don't we jump to England now? FA Cup weekend, uh, also some Premier League games that happened. Uh, As far as the FA Cup went, we've got some really compelling ties uh, in the semifinals, but I think maybe the most notable scoreline of this entire uh, FA Cup weekend was Crystal Palace blowing out Everton 4-0. And we've sort of talked about Everton in the past, but this is just another result that really makes me think that they are going to end up going down this season. Uh, And obviously it was a a cup game, not a league game, but still I think there's a lot of concern. Uh, And if you're a team that has conceded a ton of goals in the season and then you go out and buy two attacking midfielders and bring in a coach with no defensive acumen you are kind of reaping what you've sown in a little in my mind yeah and I think they, I don't think they're going to go down I think that winning against Newcastle is so massive and it separates them from the drop zone by three points and they have a few games in hand and I just think there 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 are three teams that are worse than them at the minute 
I mean, this is really bad, right? This is this is shockingly bad. Four nil. It could have been more. Um, this is you know the first time that Crystal Palace fans have really gotten to see um, Abarichi Eze, who's returned from his Achilles injury. Uh, Michael Olise, Connor Gallagher. You know that triumphant all play together. And I thought, you know, this was a real sort of like look into the mirror for Everton in a way, or look into the like the other side of what they really should have been doing. You know, appoint someone, a young manager with a pedigree, like a known pedigree, like a Patrick Vieira. And, you know, Everton had a bit of an aging squad about four or five years ago. They still have some players like Seamus Coleman, who are like one foot out the door. And they should have been, you know, looking at championship players like Michael Olise, like Connor Gallagher, like Mark Guehi, and trying to, you know, put a bit more resources into their youth academy. You look at the likes of Tyreek Mitchell, who's been called up by the England squad today from Crystal Palace. Connor Gallagher is in the England squad. You know, he is obviously on loan from Chelsea, but, you know, played last season at West Brom and is now really coming into his own on loan at Palace. You know, Michael Olise, one of the best championship wingers of the past year and a half brought in by Crystal Palace uh, and really has, I think, developed into low-key one of the the best signings of the summer. And uh, you just look at, you know, Everton right now, and they're the complete opposite of the organized ship in terms of, you know, the transfer market and tactical setup of Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace right now. So I really thought it was like an interesting game from that sort of like narrative perspective. You know, a club that is very organized, had several players leave, um, due to age and regardless, like other things too, like Andrus Townsend left on a free contract to Everton um, and a bunch of other players as well left Crystal Palace in the summer and they had to fill that void in a really kind of studious, uh, cost-efficient and future-proof sort of way. And they did manage that in a way that Frank Lampard's Everton haven't. And now they're turning to someone like Lampard who is in, an, in a similar bracket to Vieira, but definitely know less experienced and less proven yeah and uh you know they will take on Chelsea in the semifinals and it's interesting because unlike many years where I think we have more spoilers in the FA Cup three of the top four teams in the league are you know semifinalists this year with Crystal Palace the lone exception we get a huge game between City and Liverpool uh, at Wembley in the semifinals um, and the winner of that game will take on the winner of Chelsea and Palace. Chelsea cruised to a 2-0 win over Middlesbrough. Hakeem Ziyech continued to, to play uh, really well. And then Liverpool uh, snuck past, I mean, snuck past maybe is unfair to Liverpool, but Liverpool beat Forest 1-0. Jota continued his scoring streak. Um, and I think, you know, I got to see Nottingham Forest earlier this year uh, as they upset Arsenal. They're a really solid side uh, as well, especially by championship standards. But we should have two very entertaining semifinals uh, in at Wembley in uh, a couple of weeks' time. Uh, is there anything from any of the other three games? Oh, we also had uh, City win three uh, one or four one. Uh, sorry, four one over Southampton, uh, which is no surprise considering how that tie has gone in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think just historically, Nottingham Forest versus Liverpool is a really important game for English football. It was the first time that these two teams had met in you know over fifteen years. It was Liverpool's first win at the city ground in over 20 years. Uh, Steve Cooper, who has done an immense job with Nottingham Forest, you know, they were close to the drop when he came in earlier this season. Now they're contending for a playoff place. And I think uh, they haven't been in the Premier League since 1999 or the early 2000s, but I would certainly be 
in favor of them coming back up. And I think they're a really important English club. And hopefully, you know, they're able to squeak into those playoff places. Am I, did Nottingham Forest win like a Champions League way back then? They won two. Yeah, they, they won two back, two. In the, back in the 70s, right? It they was, yeah. there was that was the period jersey. where like Liverpool and Nottingham Forest were going back to back winning the Champions League or the European Cup as it was called back in those days. Yeah, I, I think it'd be cool to have a team Nottingham Forest. Like, I don't know why, but I feel like all the teams, the kind of like cool, fun names don't quite make it other than like Wolverhampton Wanderers, stuff like that. But like Nottingham Forest. Sheffield Wednesday. And Sheffield they're all Wednesday. the OG Premier League teams. No, no, they're right. All, yeah. yeah. So that's a total aside, but uh, I don't really have very much to add to the FA Cup. Maybe we can do a yeah, quick, quick, quick swing to the Prem. prem. I'll just will say Jed Spence from Nottingham Forest. Look out oh, for yeah. this guy. He's going to Arsenal this summer, by the way. Regardless uh, of uh, regardless of whether or not Nottingham Forest go up, he's going to be in the Premier League. Yes, with uh, Arsenal next season, and he's yes. going to take some souls. Yes, with Arsenal. What uh, position is he? A uh, right he plays back. Right back, but and he is back. so 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 good. Yeah, he's going forward. He he was man of the match against Arsenal, uh, and he's sick. Bayern Munich have been interested in him as well because they just decide to buy like every hmm. sort of player in the Championship who's good between the ages of seventeen and twenty one, um, along with Dortmund. But. Uh, if we're looking at the Prem, uh, a simulation today done uh, by, I think, 538 and The Athletic also uh, have Arsenal right now firmly in fourth uh, at the end of the season. Spurs have obviously picked up a little bit of steam as of late, and they're uh, three points behind Arsenal in fifth. United are a point back of them. And then you have West Ham and Wolves who complete the sort of race for European spots. And then you have a really strongly truncated uh, mid-table this season that goes about 10 places deep before the relegation battle. Uh, pretty interesting stuff going on uh, in the Prem. And, you know, the season's really heating up after this international break. We have some huge ties, including a North London derby. Um, we have Liverpool and City playing what could be a title decider. Uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting time. Uh, to be a Premier League fan. Yeah, I mean, and outside of the the top four race, I think one game I just wanted to to shout out was Leeds' comeback win um, against Wolves and sort of the the Jesse Marsh revolution that's going on. Um, they were down two nil at halftime. Jack Harrison grabbed one in sixty third. Rodrigo Moreno uh, in the sixty sixth, and then Luke Ayling in the dying embers of the game in the 91st minute it's a little it's a little bittersweet i i think for for me at least because uh trincao finally scored his first premier league goal in the 45th minute plus 11. um but it was not enough on a day that uh jimenez got got sent off but but credit to uh to jesse marsh for for starting to get it done for leeds yeah and in this game you know that leeds backs were against the wall patrick Mamford made his long-awaited return to the starting 11 and got hooked in the 30th minute due to another injury. So yeah, this was a massive win for Leeds who needed a three needed some three points to distance themselves from the uh from the drop zone. I think they're going to be able to do it. I think Jesse March has, you know, instilled some much needed rejuvenated belief into the Leeds supporters and the Leeds fans, especially and I think he brings just a different energy to Marcelo Bielsa, who is not, you know, certainly vocal with his players, but not as vocal, you know, with the fan base and the media. I think Marsh 
is a good front man for Leeds going forward. Yeah, and Marsh has famously uh, never once spied an opponent uh, yet. Uh, why don't we hop over, uh, unless there's anything else to say about the Prem. Uh, well, why I think don't Spurs, we... Spurs with a massive win over West Ham. And I think this is probably one of the bigger wins of Antonio Conte's era. And I think West Ham probably with this defeat are probably have to put all their eggs in the Europa League basket. And let me just say, if the Europa League final is indeed West Ham versus Barcelona, you best believe that I will be tuning in promptly for that one. Yes, that would be the banter that that game could produce would be absolutely off the charts. Uh, and also Barcelona would win it about 9-0. Uh, but yes, big win for Spurs. Um, you know, they were at risk really of falling completely off the pace for Europe. Uh, but now they have climbed back in. And obviously the North London Derby will be a big way uh, for them to potentially uh, make up some of those uh, lost points that they dropped in, in careless fashion earlier in the season. But uh, let's take a trip to France before we go to Italy and uh, elsewhere. We have to talk about PSG briefly because we've mentioned many times how PSG aren't very good, um, but we got to see that on full display over the last couple of weeks between their monumental collapse uh, at, PS, uh, at Real Madrid, rather, and then this weekend, getting uh, the break speeding off of them by a sort of mid-table Monaco team. Uh, everyone is getting booed there. And it's just a huge indictment of, uh, I think, all of Leonardo's failings as the architect of this PSG empire. Yeah, I mean, they're in total free fall right now and yet are still 12 points clear in Ligue which kind of says everything you need to know this uh, Pochettino is he's probably you know hope just desperate to get this season over with and maybe even desperate to be fired um this was a pretty embarrassing loss um you know no no Messi in this one just Neymar and Mbappe but you know that should be able to get it done to a Monaco who at the beginning of the game I think were in 10th at the end of the game they were in seventh, but they're still over 20 points behind PSG in the league. This is not, you know, the Monaco of the sort of mid to late uh, 2010s that, you know, had money pumping through it um, and and was trying its best to, to sort of push PSG. This is very much a bit of a kind of random team assembled of, you know, leftover parts and youth players. Um, I didn't even know Alexander Nubel, uh, who's, Bayern's goalie is on loan for them. That, that was news to me. But I I think we are fully witnessing the collapse of, of the PSG project right here. I simply don't know where you go from here. Mbappe is going to leave this summer. Neymar doesn't care. He's also like, no one can buy him. Um, I don't see any direction at all. And I feel bad for players like Junior Wijnaldum that you know, staked a bit of their future on this team. Um, and also people like Hakimi and Donnarumma um, that, you know, are young and in big contracts and won't be able to escape the French capital for the foreseeable future. I mean, this is a disaster, right? Everyone wants out clearly. No one wants to be there. The I think, Caleb, like you pointed out, like the they had such a good, you know, 
to be fair to them, they had a really good start to the season, at least in the league, and have distanced themselves from the chasing pack. You know, Marseille had a really good win, 2-1 at home over Nice in order to keep them in second place, but they're so far behind PSG who are in like a world of their own. But I think you have to go back to the collapse against Real Madrid, you know, the scenes after the fact with Leonardo and um, Nasser Al-Khalifi just like trying to violently get into like the referees chambers and they it was just a total meltdown on the executive front after that match and it's just not you know it's never been you know I always go back to the Thomas Tuchel quote where he felt like he was more of a quote-unquote minister for sport than a soccer coach uh, while coaching PSG you know you know look at what he's done at Chelsea in such a brief space of time like being able to actually you know be a soccer coach on the field and have that be his primary focus not really manage egos and all that stuff. And, you know, no Messi this weekend for PSG, but even he is not escaping, you know, the chorus of booze raining down from the PSG ultras and the fans. And it's just, it's really sour. It's really sad to see, you know, we were all thinking that this was going to be at least, at the very least, you know, a fun team to watch. They don't, they play really dull, uninspired soccer, mostly on the counterattack. Um, is where they get most of their work done. Pochettino clearly has wanted out of this gig ever since the summer where he was sort of flirting with returning to Tottenham. And I think he's definitely, you know, at the very least, his Champions League exit means that he's going to stay until the end of the season and probably bow out in another manager, Zinedine Zidane. Someone is going to take up the cash and the role. And it's just the cycle is going to repeat itself. Yeah, I think it's possible that he ends up falling upward to either Real Madrid or Manchester United after this season for whatever reason. And that's not um, to say like he's not an amazing coach because I think we've seen yeah. that Maurizio Pochettino is an amazing coach. The man got to a Champions League final with a midfield of Musa Shisoko and Harry Wicks. Like he's a very, very talented coach, but I don't think anyone can really implement their vision, their coaching vision at a club as poorly run as ego-driven as a PSG. And, you know, you look at Thomas Tuchel, you look at Unai Emery, you look at all these, this parade of coaches, you look at Ancelotti, you look at all these coaches that they've had and they've just been essentially like glorified caretaker managers and then they leave and then they go on to bigger and better things. And I think a similar thing is going to happen to Pochettino. He's going to leave PSG and go to a Manchester United and be at the very least like a little rejuvenated. I just think, like Caleb said, I think we're witnessing, you know, the 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 purgatory nature of the PSG project. And I'm not sure if it's in the decline. I don't think if you have like that kind of money, you're ever really in the decline, but I certainly think they are in some sort of hell. Well, speaking of Dante's Inferno, uh, we may as well jump. I was going to say, wait, I was just say, I think it's time for a, a French revolution. We need to throw off the shackles of right. you know, absolutism and, and, and renew Right. New PSG. Uh, well, in that vein, let's just take a quick trip to, to Italy before we get to international break stuff and, and, and wind down. Some pretty big results this last weekend uh, in Italy. And I think it's safe to say that right now, uh, courtesy of a banger of a goal from former Arsenal youth player Ishmael Benacer, uh, AC Milan are well and truly in the driver's seat of this league. Um, and I think that the turnaround that that club has made in the last like six or so years is fantastic because they went through a period, like a pretty prolonged period of decline after their excellent Champions League quality teams of the like late early 2000s. 
Um, but right now, uh, we have four teams within seven points uh, of each other in the top four. So, Nick, I know uh, your feelings on Italy, but what are, what are your thoughts right now on uh, on on who's going to take home the Scudetto? I mean, I think we talked about before months ago, before the season started, that Serie A was going to be pound for pound, at the very least, the most entertaining title race of the campaign, and it is certainly shaped up to be exactly that you know inter it looked like we're playing some of like even more swashbuckling football under inzaghi than they were in the conte they were in the driver's seat for a while napoli started the season really really well you know injuries have unfortunately unfortunately kind of like plagued the momentum somewhat but they're still in there three points behind ac milan ac milan has just beaten napoli courtesy of an olivia Giroud goal a few weeks ago and i agree i think milan this team has been, particularly during COVID, they took advantage of being able to sort of step away and rebuild a little bit, you know, bring back Ibrahimovic, who is the corner kick comeback player of the year in uh, 2020, if everyone remembers. Um, I think our trophy for him must have gotten lost in the middle or something. <laughs> yeah, it exactly. hasn't featured on his Instagram yet, which is kind of frustrating. But I yeah, know, right. You think he would help us get that little social media boost? I'll have to but, check the DHL uh, thing, make sure it got there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you look at, you know, Fakayo Tamori, who I think has been inspired first loan, then purchase by AC Milan, been, I think, probably pound for pound the best center back in Italy this season, you know, partnered by Kalulu, who is a right back turn center back youth player at the age of 21, who I think is going to do at least, you know, be on the periphery of the French national team players like and they've even integrated players like Junior Messias, who has such a brilliant story at the age of 30, you know, coming into this AC Milan team with the likes of like World Cup winners like Olivier Giroud, you know, Real Madrid youth products like Brahim Diaz and has played, you know, really workmanlike integral role in this AC Milan team out of position at right wing, I think has just been, you know, they have such a good balance under Pioli and they have done in a really long time. AC Milan smartly, you know, stuck with the manager for more than like seven weeks <laughs> in Pioli and I think that has paid uh, dividends for them. They're going to lose Frank Kessier to Barcelona at the end of the season, which is going to be a huge loss for them. I think he's probably you know, been their most consistent midfielder over the past you know, three to four seasons, even then when they were in like a downturn, like Nathan was saying. But yeah, I think I'm a big fan of this Milan team. It'll be every team at the top of Serie A this season has a bit of a wobble in form when they're at the summit. We'll see if Milan are, are uh, immune to that. But if not, I think they're certainly going to they're going to be on their way to claiming their first Scudetto in a very long time. Yeah, I'd also like to shout out Rafael Leao on the left wing too. I think he has turned into a really, really both dependable um, and sort of multi-talented attacking talent for AC Milan. Um, this weekend, Inter also you know lost a little bit of ground by drawing. Juve are making a, a late push uh, right now, I don't think they'll quite do it, but you know, with the same amount of games played as Milan and Napoli, there's still only seven points adrift, and with eight games to go, plenty, plenty, plenty can happen. Say one other game I wanted to touch on this weekend. It was the Rome Derby. Holy shit! Sorry, this I just uh, yeah, we have to talk about this game, particularly this free kick. Yeah, there were a lot of really excellent goals. I'll let you maybe you know give the the poetic rendition of the free kick, but Tammy Abraham 
continues to be, as of now, the top-scoring English player in the European top five leagues, you know, who plays in the European top five leagues, not just league goals. He is so good under Mourinho um, and is another one of these English players like Tamori um, who has sort of interestingly found a home um, in Italy. And, you know, despite Roma being in sixth place, they got a 3-0 win against their rivals on the day. Um, and definitely he is someone who is thriving right now. Yeah, it was a it was a, it was a banger of a free kick. Tammy Abraham is someone who uh, I don't understand why he was sold in the first place, especially when you consider the sort of replacement that Chelsea brought in from Serie A. Um, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, Roma have had too many downs to really challenge for anything serious this season. Uh, but I still think it's good to to see them finding success with their you know random collection of like Eastern European youth players and Felix Afenagian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They have maybe the biggest squad I've ever seen. Like you look at their bench and like every single player on their bench is like between like a 72 and a 78 overall. Like they just, they just stockpile like former wonder kids who are like 22 years old. But anyways, uh, we should probably talk quickly about the international break and some notable omissions from squads. Uh, you mentioned Frank Kessia going to Barcelona. I think we probably should have a more substantial transfer discussion some other time, maybe a week from now as we continue with the international break. But uh, it's a huge international break coming up and there have been some pretty big names uh, left off of their respective rosters. Yes, most notably Manchester United players. So. David De Gea, who hasn't been the Spain starting goalkeeper for, I think, all of Luis Enrique's tenure, uh, was not called up at all, while two other Premier League goalkeepers, um, the Brentford keeper and Brighton's keeper, Sanchez, were called up instead. Pretty tough, I think, to, to sort of see what's happened a little bit with De Gea's career when he could have been, you know, in Courtois' shoes right now, though maybe he would not have wanted them to be in them this weekend. And then other Manchester United players that missed out, Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho, um, who I think it's fair to say have not been all that spectacular or have not really looked themselves um, for for most of this season, missing out on the England squad. Yeah, I think it's a bit unfair on Sancho, who I think is probably, he's started to round into some sort of form for United, but I think Marcus Rashford is just a player who looks like he needs a prolonged break. You know, he came back from an injury. Uh, he, at the beginning of the season, he never really kicked on from, you know, really ex an exhaustive Euros campaign. Had a really emotional end to that final. Was carrying through with an injury. Came back. I don't know. Just to me, like, he just looks exhausted. You know, he's playing out of position on the right. Sometimes he's asked to play striker. Sometimes he's asked to play left wing. It's just, it just looks like it's all a little, I don't know, who am I to say, you know, what is too much for Marcus Rashford? Someone who has, you know, done so much more for his community and for, you know, the, the, just the people of England in general over COVID than I possibly, you know, ever could have, like, I, I admire him so much, but just from like an outsider looking in right now, it just looks like he's someone who could use you know, at least until the end of the season, just to not just sit around, just like chill for a little bit, you know, rest his brain, rest his body, and then come back next season rejuvenated. 
Yeah, and it's also, um, you know, there are, there have also been some injuries that are keeping out some key players, especially on the U.S. domestic side, where the United States needs four points from this upcoming series of three games to guarantee themselves um, a spot in the World Cup. And a series of injuries to their, really their best players could not have come at a worse time because the United States are playing at the Azteca on Thursday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, and they're going to be without a whole host of players, uh, including obviously players whose injuries we've known for a while, like Weston McKinney, but also guys like Brendan Aronson, who's going to be out for four weeks. And there was some fear that uh, a variety of reasons could have kept Kristen Pulisic out uh, of this team as well. So it's, again, I really wish that there weren't this many international breaks. And I think we're going to continue to hear complaints from players and coaches about this, especially with the uh, Winter World Cup coming up. But it's super strange to be, you know, at the precipice of the stretch run for the season um, to then have players going um, away for international breaks. But maybe that's just me being, uh, I guess, complaining too much. Yeah, stop complaining. <laughs> no, it's it's tough. And I think Mexico are not in the best form, but they will be hoping that this is a good opportunity to turn it around. Um, Dest, another player who is likely going to be absent uh, from the U.S. men's national team. I don't think he's going to be fit. So, yeah, we shall see. But I think they can get four points out of these two games regardless. I certainly I hope, hope so. so. I, certainly, I hope so. I certainly hope so. Uh, we may as well leave it there, but hopefully we'll be back next week uh, to recap some of these games and probably talk about the United States getting two players sent off the Azteca and, you know, whatever chaos happens in CONCACAF between now and then. We can talk transfers then as well, but we had a lot to get to. Uh, there's been so much going on and maybe this international break will prove uh, relaxing a little bit so we can finally catch up on some storylines. But uh, until next time, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. Nick Vinden. Uh, and we hope that you're listening to this podcast on Spotify or maybe even Apple Music or LimeWire, depending on the uh, the stadium of your choice. We will see you all. We're next Corner time. Kick brought to you by Tidal slash SoundCloud slash Napster slash, you know, wherever you illegally download your music. Don't, I mean, listen to your music legally. We don't endorse. Yeah, pay your artists. Pay your yeah, artists. Pay your artists. Camp. Yeah, it would be like band, band camp. That's what I was thinking no, of. The yeah, band, yeah, the yeah. band camp Union Berlin Stadium. Um, right. But we will see you all next time. The Bandcamp Bernabeu. <laughs>